Hi, everyone. We have a very special announcement to share with you. So as you know, we started Carrying Wayward almost a year ago, and thanks to all of our listeners and supporters, we've actually recorded over 40 episodes, a few minisodes, and also a couple of special events. We know some of you have been asking for more content, like longer episodes, more interaction, more events, and yes, bingo cards. Don't worry, we haven't forgotten. They are (laughs) in the pipeline. (laughs) Yep, and guess what, Wayward Friends? We've decided to start a Patreon. So our weekly episodes will remain free, but if you're interested in some extra content and perks, you should have a look at our Patreon tiers. Yep, our tiers start at just $3 a month, Choose the one that fits you best. We're offering perks like exclusive access to a Discord server where you can chat with Mary and I daily, post-show content, free access to monthly live events, and some producer-level shout-outs right in the podcast. The support of our patrons will actually allow us to pay for our existing expenses, like the rights for our intro music, our Google Drive, but also things like upgrading some of our recording equipment and also investing in making some merch because we have lots of fun merch ideas. Oh, we do. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash Carrying Wayward. The link is available on all of our social media channels. Don't hesitate to reach out to Mary or I if you have any questions. All right, Drew, we've got work to do. Yes, we do. Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 2, Episode 18, Hollywood Babylon. Let's get this show on the road. Absolutely loved this episode. Again, I went in knowing nothing. Like, I think I've made a few comments. I'm not sure if they were made it to air, but I was just like, the title means nothing to me. Like, I have no idea what it is. I know even after like looking it up in the random facts of like what the title means, I'm like, I, okay. I think we were just chatting about the episode. And I was trying to just be like, here's what I think and make some guesses. And I guess that maybe this is the one we finally get the Gilmore Girls joke. And I was right. And then I was like, okay, I think I know where this is going then. I, I thought about you when I rewatched it and I I heard the Gilmore Girls joke. I was like, oh, finally, he can call Sam Dean. <laughs> Yay, I can get confused again. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do you want to recap the episode for us? Go ahead and count me down. Three, two, one, go. We open with what looks like a very, like, classic horror scenario, only for it to be revealed that it really is a classic horror scenario because it's literally a film set in a movie. The main actress is all alone on set and she sees a murder and a ghost. And the boys are all like, oh, haunted movie set. We better sneak in and not get mistaken for the cast of Gilmore Girls, which I love, and eventually end up on the set as PAs to try to solve this murder, only to find out that it was a fake murder. And they're like, I guess we should go. But then there's a real supernatural murder. They are trying to figure out like what it could be because there's no real connections to anything. And they're like, they even do eventually figure out, oh, it was this one ghost. Let's salt and burn the body. And then, oh no, wait, that didn't stop it. Only to then realize that the person who wrote this movie, who feel like he's being shilled by the company, actually put in real like demon summoning and spirit summoning and is using it to get his revenge only to have it all backfire on himself in a very horror movie like way and then to have their adventures literally turned into that movie itself that they were peeing on it's weirdly super mega meta time (laughs) 
it, what a fun episode, though. Like, I know it's got some pretty gory deaths, but it's a really fun episode. It really is. If you want to jump into the long game right away, like... Yes, let's go. We have finally reached the meta episodes. <laughs> this is so, like, Ouroboros, like, snake eating its own tail. It makes commentary on the genre, but then also on Supernatural as a show. And then the movie ends up adopting what they're doing into their media. It's it's so cyclical. It's beautifully well done. There are a few more episodes that will be very, very meta. And um, I'm just glad that this is the direction that the show decided to take because then it sort of also pushes the audience to see the meta and to look for it in other episodes that aren't as explicitly meta. To make a really weird comparison, this is also why I thoroughly enjoyed back in the day, the old scary movie franchise. They were such a fun narrative like poking fun at the holes like how often have you watched a horror film and you look at the main character and you're like don't do that to have movies and have you know projects that break those rules and kind of play with them a bit is just so much fun absolutely if we move forward a little bit there's a moment where dean asks like gerard st james who was pretending to be frank jaffe who was the fake victim like the first one so he asks him isn't it cruel messing with their heads like that and gerard replies Hey, I just play the part. I don't write the script. I have so many thoughts about this line that I'm really having trouble putting into words, but this is going to be so, so important. I want to say particularly for seasons four to seven, but even as the show goes on, and we will certainly be talking about that in many critical times to come. I figured that's where this was going, but it makes sense. <laughs> I love that you know. We also have our first mention of Enochian, which will become very important once angels appear on the show. So I don't know what Enochian means. Like I saw it in your notes and I know they bring it up in the episode, but like I don't actually know of it. It's not super important for now. From what I understand, it's a language, and we will be able to dive into it a little bit more later. That's it for for the long game for this week. So let's uh, hop into story time. So is there anything that you'd like to tackle in story time? <laughs> <laughs> we'll hit a lot of these beats along the way, but Dean is just so happy. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> Like, I kind of love that we, like, get this narrative of him. Like, we never actually see it happen, but he goes from being a PA to being, like, on the set to being, like, working with things. Like, he just, he just, like, he builds a career in the course of, like, two days on the set. And, like, every time Sam sees him, it's just, it's watching Sam just be like, what's happening? What, what, what is this? <laughs> it's just so many things he loves. Like, he just, he really falls in love with, like, this, this job. He loves being on the movie set. He clearly has a thing for the lead actress. And then like one of his truest loves comes to fruition, the craft service table. I know, oh my God. For me, this episode truly revolves around like Dean and what could have been. And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit, but let's let's start a little bit. Let's take a couple of steps back because yeah, sorry. this is, <laughs> no, no, don't be sorry at all. This is like, this is, I don't know. To me, this is what the episode was about. So excellent, if anything, right? It starts even before he's on the set, right? Like he gets so excited just on the studio tour, like on that little like golf cart train type of thing. As we know, Dean really loves TV shows and movies. He's quoting them all the time. So this is probably genuinely exciting for him, you know, like to get to look at how they're made. And like you said, we're going to see that too a little bit later when he really embraces being a PA. As we discussed a 
few episodes ago, this is a job where he can eat as much as he wants from the craft table. <laughs> and we know that that's also meaningful to him. And, you know, we're laughing, but this is like genuinely meaningful. This is truly a good job for him, right? I, I think you said it before. This is like the what if Dean didn't fall into the world he's in now. I could see him just being like a jack of all trades on a movie set, like fixing this one day and then like doing the lighting the next day and then like bringing drinks to everyone the day after that. Like just like never having one consistent role, but just being the everyman on a set like this. It's just very him. It's so interesting because in the fandom and in like fan fiction that's found everywhere, like there's a lot of AUs or alternate universe fiction where Dean is either a firefighter or a mechanic. Like those are his two main like occupations whenever he's not whenever he's not a hunter, right? To me, watching this episode, it's like, this man was meant to be on a movie set, right? Like, anyway, and we'll we'll see more about that a little bit. Did you notice that he also immediately recognized Gerard St. James and said that he, like, you know, like, oh, you played Desert Soldier number four in Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin. Who recognizes unnamed soldier number four in a movie unless you like really know them for whatever reason had you heard about that movie before is that a real movie it's a real movie i assumed it was like a fictional film they made up for, i didn't even think to look it up it's a real movie it's a very real movie okay okay hold on okay okay okay, <laughs> okay we're getting ahead of ourselves again <laughs> <laughs> We're too excited, just like him. It's a real movie. It's also apparently a really bad movie. Even at the time that it came out, I think it was 1983, it was described as like very slow, very bad. But Dean knows about it. He knows the unnamed soldier number four. You can tell that he knows his stuff. He would have been great in the TV and film industry, you know? I mean, he, he lived a life where he was never really in one place for too long. They were constantly traveling and fighting evil and getting into trouble both with his father and I'm sure after the only comfort he really had was whatever really shitty movie was on the hotel TV that night and I imagine a film like this probably hits that rotation quite frequently if I had to say so myself for sure and it fits with the timeline as well 1983 and we know that Dean also really loves horror movies so it just it works out now before they leave Gerard Dean asks him how it was to work with Richard Mole. Richard Mole was in a ton of lesser known movies and TV shows in the 80s and 90s, but like, if you Google him, you will know him. You know his face. You have for sure seen him and stuff. Yeah, so I, I will admit I did Google him before this because I figured I should be aware of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I recognize him. And I went through his IMDb and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 you were definitely in that. I remember that. We have all seen him in movies and TV, like for sure. But it's just the name isn't a household name necessarily. But his face, we know his face. So I just want to sort of note that in 1983, he would have been like a big buff guy with dark hair and blue eyes. Kind of dreamy, got it. Dean, so like he asks him about this and then he tries to deflect by saying that Richard Mole was in Metal Storm, which is true, he really was. But Dean could have asked how it was to work with Kelly Preston, who was also in Metal Storm. And for those who may not know, Kelly Preston was also a prolific actor who was married to John Travolta. But no, he asked about Richard Mole. And the look that Sam gives him is the same look that he usually gives him whenever Dean has a bi-panic moment. I noticed that moment too felt very like, it felt like a scene that like shouldn't have made it to the final edit but for some reason someone really fought to keep it in as if the writer of the episode really had a point to get across in this moment and left it in it's almost as if i feel like we're hinting at something <laughs> 
this scene made it. And frankly, like the look that Sam gives him is the same look that Sam gives him when like he's deflecting. Sometimes it's just really easy to overlook this scene because like you said, it's not important to the story and yet it made it in. So it should be considered important. So yeah, we'll read it. We'll read into it. I think the most important things in a show like this or most television movies for that matter as well are the scenes where you kind of ask yourself, like, why is that scene there? And there's usually a reason, and you need to then dig a little deeper to figure out why it's there. And I think this is a great example of that. This is when he starts getting into his role as a PA. You know, like, he can tell when Tara is doing better as an actor. Uh, he knows what sense memory is, which is an acting technique. You know, he's got leadership. He know He works as part of a team. He knows the name of everyone on set, and he's almost forgotten that he's on a case. It really is. like It's like every time Sam comes back to it, one, Dean keeps interrupting him with chatter over the walkies, and like Sam has to remind him, like, the case, the one we're working on, the thing we're doing now, not this job you've made up, like, we have a job. But it's also so heartbreaking to see that, like, to see what he could, like we were saying, like, what he could have been if he'd been given a chance at happiness, you know? Mm -hmm. I think for me, what really hits home is, like, when he says that he feels like he's part of a team. Like, he feels like he belongs. And this is just, like, so important to, to, to feel like your life has meaning, like, feeling like you belong, like, you're home, like, you're where you're supposed to be. You forget that deep down he has wants and needs that are not just, I gotta protect Sam and I gotta shoot the bad things. I'm also, like, 99.9% sure that Dean was the one who did the voiceover for the trailer of Hellhazers 2, which tells us that he could have also gotten acting jobs, which really cements my idea that Dean belongs on a film set. Sorry, I'm playing the trailer over my head again, and I'm thinking, oh, shit, you might be right. That is 100%, like, I am sure that that's Jensen Ackles' voice. And this is why, you know, like, I, I, I love those AUs with firefighter dean or like you know mechanic dean but frankly like he could be an actor he could be a producer he could do whatever like he could really do whatever he wants on a film set because he's so knowledgeable it feels weird talking about this i feel like it should be part of critical time but it's critical within the episode and it's just like it's the interaction between the actors and the production team discussing like what does or doesn't work in their movie they're making i air quote movie because it's weirdly film within a film but like you know when they question the salt like i almost wanted sam to like pipe up and go like oh actually here's the reason for the salt like i kind of wanted sam to have a moment to shine there too okay so you're bringing up sam because this so this is clearly a dean episode right like it's it's an episode that doesn't have much consequence in the rest of the series but like it's a it's an episode where we get to see dean be dean but like what's going on with sam because like i i you know he just came off of a really really traumatic experience Maybe it's because of that that he's not very present mentally in this episode. Because he is present physically, but he's just not there, right? Like, if Sam hadn't been there, the episode would have been the same. Yeah, really. I mean, Sam's only job is just to remind Dean they're on a case. I mean, Sam ultimately solves the case, I guess, also is the other important thing he does. Just, just a little important. Just a little tiny thing. I know, I guess I just, like, yeah, this also belongs in critical time, but, like, let's let's just talk about it now like I just feel like Sam you know I guess the uh, again like the in-world explanation is that he's 
coming off of this really traumatic experience. And so that's why he's just not very present. Well, yeah, and like, yeah, it totally makes sense. And I also feel like we've seen other moments of this where Sam kind of has to rein Dean back in. He's not doing it as much this time. Yeah, he's kind of like letting it happen, right? Like letting him have his fun. That's kind of how I read it too. I think he kind of just saw Dean in a good place for the first time in so long that he was just like, I'll solve the case. You make a movie. Oh, Sam. What a good brother. He really is. I mean, <laughs> he really is. Shall we move into critical time? Let's jump in. Okay, so who do we have to thank for this masterpiece of an episode? None other than Ben Edlund, who also wrote Simon Said and Night Shifter. Remember when I said that Ben Edlund would take over for John Sheban in the Bydeen department? Yeah, as soon as we had that conversation about the Bydeen moment in the episode, I was like, this is an Edlund, isn't it? Oh, yep, this is an Edlund. <laughs> Called it. Here we have Phil Scriccia, who is the director. He also directed Nightmare, Everybody Loves a Clown, and Night Shifter. No, genuinely, like, a good team. Like, I mean, obviously they did Night Shifter together, and I also really love that episode, so. And again, like, we're, we're getting something that's really visually, visually beautiful, so thank you, Phil. There's just so many, like, film and movie references, from the Gilmore Girls reference to talking about other famous movie hauntings, whether they be real or fake, or incidents on movie sets. You brought it up in our pre-show just now, we were talking before the show. They make a reference in the episode to the ghost on the set of the film Three Men and a Baby, which I heard about and I always assume was just like a whatever, it's a urban legend, whatever the case might be. Apparently it's not real. From what I read online, it's been debunked and it seems like the rumor had been started by the executives to boost sales of of the video after, you know, theatrical release. Literally the plot of this, this episode. Literally the plot of this movie in this episode. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's so good. Like, that's such an insane, like, whether it was debunked at the time or it's just a really weird coincidence now, either way magic you mentioned the the Gilmore Girls reference because you know that's how you how you have learned about Jared Padalecki did you notice that they also mentioned Lois and Clark there's just a whole bunch of referencing here I mean I, I caught it during the episode and I see here you, you do have it marked down they named some of the characters in this episode after actual production team from the show they absolutely did let's look at the really obvious elephant in the room like mick g is a very unique sounding name and you see it every episode in the opening credits so to have a character named mick g i was like what are you doing <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, they also have Serge Ladouceur, who is the uh, director of photography. They have Jerry Wanek. They have Jay Gruska. I also suspect that the character Brad Redding could have been named after Brad Buckner. Yeah, and that's such a nice little, like, meta level for them to do that. And I think at one point, Jay mentions, like, Bob, who could be Bob Singer, one of the producers as well. They definitely had some fun with it. Yeah, I, I really like this episode as far as like a non-consequential episode in the series or season just did a lot of really good. There's just so much trivia actually about this episode that we're going to discuss some of it in the podcast, but we're also going to put a link in the show notes so that our listeners can go and have a look at other things because like we just, there's no way that we can touch on all of the little things, but there's definitely some stuff that you should go have a look. I have to bring this up because this is just too funny. Like at the very beginning when Brad Redding, who is the, the suit, like the, one of the producers from the, from the network, he's asking for the shots to be like brighter, right? 
I'm like, this definitely felt like sort of a self jab, especially like after everything that's been said about the gray filter on Supernatural, you know, like, and McG even says like, it's a horror movie. Okay, again, because this is a meta episode, I really want to look at the meta of everything. To me, it sort of felt like the show was acknowledging that the vibe that it was going for at first, like horror, isn't actually what they're writing and producing anymore. The show has evolved beyond being a monster of the week show that is dark and gritty to a show about two brothers and their lives and their story that happens to take place during a monster of the week setting. And I think that that acknowledgement is, is necessary because like there's sometimes a lot of discussion about people saying, well, this is a horror show. And I'm like, I really don't think so. Like, this is not a horror show. In season one, maybe, yeah. But for most of the 14 other seasons, no, certainly not. Yeah, it has horror elements. It draws inspiration from horror mythology. But it itself is a drama. There you go. There's there's another thing that's going on there because I think there's also a self-awareness in having Sam point out that the summoning ritual is real. So like you and I have had like long conversations about how this show uses lore that it doesn't always understand and uses it or even appropriates it just as a plot device. And this is truly what's happening here, right? Like Sam is complimenting the writer on using real Enochian summoning rituals. And Martin literally calls it, quote unquote, Latin crap and garbage. This seems like they're now trying, like the intent was to make fun of how the movie industry does this and then missing the point that it's something that they themselves as a production has done. As a writer of Hellhazers anyway, like he did not care about the lore that he was presenting and like he didn't understand what it meant to the people who truly understand that lore. Obviously, like I'm getting flashbacks of like Wendigo, Bugs and Crossroads Blues where lore is also appropriated from a different culture and literally just used as a plot device with, again, little understanding of it or what it means to the people who know about this. I understand the joke or the comedy or the criticism they were trying to make in that scene. Given their poor handling of that exact same topic in the past, it's very distasteful. That's so interesting because to me, like I really saw it as a call out to the past. That's that's truly how I saw it. But you feel you you feel like it it goes too far. So if we look from the meta narrative, it's them saying like people do this and it's not good and we're the shitty execs and we've done this it, within the episode. But in a show written by a team and executive produced by a team who has already done this, I could see it as an apology, assuming they never do it again in the next 14 seasons or 13 seasons. And I'm going to take a wild swing and say they're probably going to do it again. So literally two episodes from now, they are going to be talking about a creature that is from a different culture than theirs, certainly. And we can talk about that once we get there. But this is also the moment where the show moves very much from like general lore into like Christian religion, religious lore. I do find that it's more quote unquote appropriate, right? Like to write about what, what is yours. If we see this as them acknowledging their past, I'm going to hold them to it that they carry that forward. Apology isn't worth much from someone who's just going to wrong you again. <laughs> That's accurate. But I understand what you're saying. And I mean, again, we can have this conversation like two episodes from now again, when we meet this creature that I am alluding to. I'm already excited. Like you're, you're telling me that we have two episodes from now. We have a, another creature from an, a background that I get to go like research and look up. I'm excited. Is there anything that you specifically want to bring up in uh, critical time? 
It's the smallest nitpick in comparison to everything else we've talked about, but just that's not how fast forward and rewind on a DVD work. <laughs> it literally has the tracking and like tape scratching effect on the video as it's being rerounded and fast forwarded. DVDs don't do that. There's no tape in a DVD. You know, you know that I have a seven year old son, right? So sometimes there are things that he doesn't understand, like rewind, for example, the term rewind, because like... When you you no longer rewind, you go back. Why is it called rewind? You were literally, you had these this spool of ribbon wound around two spools that played. And if you wanted to go back, you had to wind it the other way, thus rewind it. What would happen when you did this is you were then having the video playback literally go the wrong way. And because it was going faster than intended, you would get this garbling on the screen which is, so the thing is, it's a visual language. When you see something being rewound, you see like video being played in reverse, your brain expects to see a certain thing. But if you go right now and grab a DVD and pop in your DVD player, put it to any point of the movie and hit rewind, it's not gonna look the way your brain thinks it should. I certainly think, Drew, that it really depends on when you were born. Oh my God, I, I now need to like, can I make a call to our listeners? Find me examples of modern television. So let's say TV and movie from post, let's say 2010 as a barometer. So things that were produced and released post 2010, where a character is seen either rewinding or fast forwarding footage. Like I know that's an incredibly weird and specific thing to ask, but like I need examples because like, I feel like I have never seen a character on a show rewind or fast forward where it didn't have that like, and I, I assume listeners who are old enough to know what I'm referring to know that like visual distortion that happens when you fast forward rewind. Like I can't think like, and the other, like, I think the other example that goes almost the other way is like anytime any like criminal investigation show does the like enhance, zoom in enhance. That doesn't work in real life, but we all accept that it does in movies. But your original point stands, like that is not how it works on a DVD yes. player. <laughs> like the original, I want to be very clear, like I'm not debating your original point. No. <laughs> I think, I, and I think you're absolutely right by saying that they were putting this on in order to like cue visually the viewers at the time, which would have been 2007, um, that this is what was happening, that they were indeed like rewinding <laughs> something. <laughs> this week, we have a voicemail from Leonardo, and he wants to make sure that we all know that English isn't his first language. Hi, hello to everyone listening to Carrying Wayward. Before starting, I would like to put a trigger warning on my message because I will be discussing transphobia, internalized transphobia, and uh, transit canon themselves. So I'm a trans man, so I'm talking for experience, and uh, I'd like to talk about a canon about uh, transgender FTM D Winchester. So during the watch party on the 3rd of August, I uh, sent a message about a uh, net canon of transgender Dean Winchester, and uh, I want to discuss that. Before, I have to do to um, give some context about that, about gender dysphoria. At the end, the description of gender uh, dysphoria is quite simple. You don't feel at your... Uh, you don't feel well in your own body, but it's much more stronger than most people can imagine. It's uh, 
Essentially, it's like you are constantly covered in mud. You want to clean up, but you can't. You can't. You physically can't. And people constantly remind you that you are covered in mud. And you can't tell them you can wash yourself. Plus, for uh, FTM transgender, there's always that judgment uh, about you want to transition only because you want to get rid of misogyny. Which doesn't make sense because get off from the women category to get into another category which way less members, which doesn't make so much sense. With that, I want to pinpoint the main symptoms, quote-unquote symptoms, um, that Dean Winchester presents as a, a trans man. The first of all is uh, his continuous uh, wanting to uh, show his masculinity, his extreme masculinity, and his uh, hate for everything that's vaguely feminine, like Sam's long hair, that he took like a joke, but, uh, or he's showing emotions, or really everything, skirts, nails, makeup. I myself am a feminine transgender man, so I like long nails, I like skirts, I like makeup, but I can't put it on because I feel extremely dysphoric when I do so, because I like it, but I feel bad because I don't feel like a man. Oh Well, I feel like a man, but like I don't deserve to feel like a man. It's much more complicated than that, because I, I know that men can't put dresses or makeup or whatever. I get i I explode every time Misha Collins puts on a uh, a dress, okay, I love that, but it's it's another matter, really. Another gender dysphoria trait that Dina got really into his brain is the lack of se- of uh, self care for his body, like uh, his lack of an healthy diet or healthy attitudes. Or is alcoholism, just to say once true, that are also symptoms of depression, which doesn't uh, surprise me so much, honestly. But this uh, lack of self-care, uh, it's due to... Uh, because your mind refuses to take care of something that you feel like it's wrong or even disgusting, and that's where Dean's self-esteem issues could come from. And with that, I have to hit into a point that I don't like, because I gotta talk about John. Because, uh, okay, because maybe you can't uh, realize you are transgender for years, decades even, but at some point, you have to realize that something's wrong. You have it even when you are like four years old, I myself always tell when I was like six years or six years old, if I had a male body, I was I would be happier. Okay, it's those little things, and I figure like uh, Jim Winchester, uh, like 
16 or something that realizes that something's not right, quote-unquote not right, obviously, with uh, his body. And uh, he knows what it is. And to try and feel a little better, and knowing that John Winchester isn't exactly open-minded... <laughs> In his journal, there's written that Dean's first hunt uh, was at 17 and he had to burn uh, the bodies of two lesbian nuns. So he made it pretty clear that he is not for uh, LGBTQA plus mm, rights. So I imagine like Dean telling him, yes, I have to cut my hair, I have to dress masculine so I can confuse myself with other male, I can pass myself for a male, so I have increasingly low chances to be harassed, and John lets him because that makes quite sense. Of course, Sam knows, of course, Sam realized that at some point. And he's extremely supportive about that because I refuse to believe uh, uh, anything else. Though there are some positive outcomes <laughs> with uh, being transgender. The jokes are funnier. Like in the pilot when Dean's, Dean uh, tells the cop, uh, you got anything that's real, my boobs. That's 100% funnier. If you think about transgender FTM Dean, come on. Also, I couldn't stop myself from imagining, like at the beginning of season 4, Drew, this is a heavy spoiler, so plug your ears if you don't want to listen. So I imagine like at the beginning of season 4, when Dean uh, gets out of hell, and he immediately, immediately realizes that something's wrong. Because he can feel it. So he checks. And the first thing he does is crying. Because, because uh, duh. If he, even if uh, he desired doing tr the transition, that thing is it's too expensive. Uh, even for a normal, normal person. He could have never started it. So having it resolved like that, it's, it's a miracle. <laughs> And uh, I imagine uh, uh, him eventually asking Castiel why that change. And uh, Castiel, with his perf perfectly serious face, responding, I saw the soul of a man in hell, so I rebuilt a body of a man for that soul. And nothing, I wanted to end with something vaguely happy. <laughs> Thank you all for the uh, um, for this podcast because I really really love that, and I'd really like to see how that will go on, how you will uh, uh, take it on. You are doing a really great job. I love watching every analysis you do. Bye. I just need to say thank you for that voicemail on just so many levels. I 
love the topic. I mean, the idea of a transgender Dean, uh, female to male, never crossed my mind, but the points you bring up are amazing. And yes, the boob joke from that first episode, like a thousand times better. It makes sense. All of a sudden you're like, Oh, okay. I get it. I get the joke now. <laughs> but I, I just, I love that reading. I love that analysis of Dean, but like, if I can take a second and just say again, thank you for having the strength to be that open with us, not just us, but to other listeners who are going to hear this voicemail to help us connect and understand this character, this reading and this analysis like that takes a lot of strength. So thank you very much. But genuinely, it is a brilliant read. It's like I did that thing where I just like in my head the entire season up to this point basically played through and I was just like, oh, yeah, that like at no point is there a contradiction or like a spot where it seems out of place. Like that just works constantly bringing up John as well. Like, Oh, you know, John is the kind of guy where, you know, having a daughter would have been like boy up that name and short hair and boy clothes. Cause he always wanted a boy and would have definitely helped play with the Dean's mental health when it comes to the way that John treated him. Yeah. Leonardo. I mean, thank you so much. Like Drew said, for sending this to us. I just, I really love the readings of Dean where people are able to like use their own lived experience and apply it to him. And it just, I think if you, because we've had so many voicemails so far of people who identified with Dean for different reasons. And to me, what that shows is that he truly is like a universal character in the sense that like, so many people relate to him. So many fans relate to him. Like, it is just so easy to say like, oh, I get him. I really do. And it, and I think that this shows that like, it really doesn't matter. Like, no matter where you are, uh, no matter what, what your identity is, you can, to some degree relate to Dean Winchester. Thank you also for explaining gender dysphoria also from like from a lived experience point of view. And it's true. The jokes are much funnier now. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true, though. And I did my best to cover my ears during the spoiler season four. Unfortunately, I let go too soon. and I did hear it regardless of knowing what I now know. And I'll be honest, I kind of had a vague idea that was coming. So you didn't spoil it for me. Do not feel bad. I have a pretty heavy understanding of what's to come. I will be thinking of this voicemail when I get to that episode. We won't probably end up bringing it up as well. (laughs) Thank you so much for your message, Leonardo. I I really hope that it resonated with our listeners. Thank you so much. Shall we head to the crossroads? We shall. So what deal would you like to make this episode? Because Dean was having such a good time in this episode, I wish that we had seen him interact with the crew on the movie set even more. I just want more of Happy Dean, especially knowing what's to come. So I know I know that I need to give something up and I think that I would cut the fake death and like everything that has to do with it because I feel like it uses a lot of time and I'm not sure what the payback really is. I like that deal. I, I, I agree. I love seeing Dean happy. I don't know. I feel like I would fight you on yours a little bit. It's not, it doesn't interact with my particular wish, but I feel like I love the not seeing the behind the scenes of Dean's life on this movie set that we just sort of get this like 
you have to kind of build your own narrative with the fact that we never fully see what happens. It's just that every time we see him, he's more in depth and more ingrained in this community. But also without the fake death, we would never have that really amazing scene of him interacting with uh, Desert Soldier number four. I also feel like that that could have been like transplanted to like a crew member. Actors can sometimes be also crew members when they're not you know, working. Uh, also the, the by Dean moment where he asks about Richard Mole. Like, I feel like this again could have been like moved onto a crew member who had said like they'd worked on a B movie of some sort. And like, you know, Dean would ask about some actor that he had a crush on. That's kind of how I saw it. Sort of wanted to make sure that that would stay because to me, like that was just like a beautiful moment. I really loved it. So I didn't want to cut that, but I just feel like narratively, like the, the, fake death and everything that has to do with it is just like not necessary. Like as much as I enjoyed it and we talked about it, especially with the reference to three men and a baby and the whole fake ghost on that one, like it's a very cute like moment, like overall the way it's done. But like, uh, you're right. The payoff isn't, isn't worth it. What about you? We have two actual ghost related, three actual ghost related deaths in this episode Two perpetrated by a ghost, basically reenacting the way they were killed. We have the, uh, the woman who hanged herself, and we have the uh, crew member who was dismembered by the fan. And then we have two others we only ever see right at the end uh, during kind of that final fight. Why is it then, when we have the third potential death, which the brothers do end up stopping, they just reuse the fan ghost again? You basically have a lineup of four ghosts, three of them get starring roles, and you go, no, 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 fan guy, you get to go again. You, We really liked you. And it just kind of bugged me. Like, imagine those other two ghosts being like, really, he gets two deaths? We, only, we have to, like, team up in this final fight and barely get seen? Like, I can't even tell you what they looked like. I don't know what to say because I, I agree with you. It's it's one of those things that's just so silly, especially when you have, like, the fake death and then this and then that. It's just like, okay, but why? Yeah. <laughs> Like, and even as I'm writing this note, I'm thinking like, oh, well, maybe they don't want to show the other ghost because it's going to cost money and makeup like behind the scenes. But like, no, no, the other ghosts show up. And I'm pretty sure you could found a way to like, oh, one of them like burnt to death. So they're going to throw into a burning like a house and try to light it or something like there's so many ways you could have done that scene that would have been cheaper budget wise, especially if you already have the other ghosts like in makeup ready to go. So crossroads, right? Like, what are you gaining? What are you getting? What are you giving up? I'm gaining more information about the other the, these other two deaths we never really hear about, the of the four confirmed uh, deaths on this movie set. What do I give up? I think we give up the whole salting and burning the bones of the first uh, ghost. I, I, I almost expected when they went to the cemetery and dug her up, they were going to find like, oh, her body's missing because she was a famous actress and someone desecrated the grave and her body's been re like, you know, like disposed of or something or like that was cremated in the ashes or with the family. Like, oh, so if her body's already gone, then how are we going to deal with her? And then the realization that it's, you know, a summoning ritual and they're being brought back uh, unnaturally. Like, we didn't need to have that second fake out. I feel like that whole, like, again, every time they salt and burn a body, with one exception so far, it's been a fake out. Which is, like, starting to bother me a little bit. <laughs> that also has to do with, like, like, the expectations, the narrative expectations of the actual show, right? So, like, the first time that it happened, they salted and burned the body, and that was good. But then the second time, they couldn't just salt and burn the body because then, like, all of the ghost stories would just be salt and burns. So they had to, like, add a twist. And then now, because they've added a twist so early on in the seasons... They can't just go back to a simple salt and burn. I really would need to like go through a list, but I feel like even the first few salt and burns were fake outs. The only one where it actually worked was with the mad doctor in the asylum. Yes, that's true. It worked and it worked instantly. 
Yeah, like I feel like there was even one or two before that, so it was already implied this is how you deal with a ghost. But those were ones where like, oh, it's not actually a of the body, it's an object, or uh, oh, it turns out we salt and burned the wrong body and it's not actually their spirit, it's something else. Like, I don't know. It just, <laughs> it was just one of those moments of like, why not use the other ghosts? They're right there. They're already in costume. L let them have a let them have a starring role in this. Give them more credits. <laughs> Hashtag credit my ghosts. <laughs> You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Figuru and myself, Drew Schulman. This week, we'd like to thank Leonardo for his voicemail. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us your own voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. Make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to grow our community. And don't forget, join our Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carryingwayward. Until next week. Carry on our wayward friends. I bit my tongue in the middle of that sentence. Ow. Oh, no.